This morning, I would like to begin by reading a very interesting obituary. Mrs. Prayer Meeting died recently at the first neglected church on Worldly Avenue. Yes, Mrs. Prayer Meeting died. Born many years ago in the midst of a great revival, she was one of the most influential members of the church family. For the past several years, Mrs. Prayer Meeting had been failing in health. At last, she was but a shadow of her former self. Her last whispered words were inquiries concerning the absence of her loved one. Now busy in the markets of trade and places of worldly amusements. Experts, including Dr. Works, Dr. Reform, and Dr. Joyner, all disagreed as to the cause of her fatal illness. They had administered large doses of organizations and socials, but to no avail. A post-mortem autopsy showed that a deficiency of spiritual food, coupled with a lack of faith and general support, were contributing causes. Only a few were present at her death. And in honor of her going, the church doors will be closed on Wednesday nights, the nights of prayer meeting. Kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing there. Uh, we still have prayer meetings here at Crossroads. We've been doing some uh, Zoom meetings on prayers, and we'll, we'll do in-person prayers as well. Uh, but there is a crisis of prayer neglect among Christians in the church today. There's a crisis of prayer neglect in the church today. Today, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. I encourage you to open up your Bibles. This is found on page 1036 in the church Bibles. I got that right. I think it's 1036. I would like you to turn there with me as we look at some of the principles of prayer. Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. So that text is not correct. So you can delete that text. They're going to get very confused. That was what Pastor Mike was going to preach on. There you go. All right. So Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. Again, found on page 1036, I think. Is, is that correct? Yeah, thank you. 1036 in the church Bibles. My version might be slightly different. So forgive me for that. Although maybe I can do this. It's going to be the same. Hold on one second. Again, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. This is right after the Lord's prayer for context's sake. So then he, being Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though... He will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. 
Verse 9, so I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is, asks by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, know how much more your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you again this morning thanking you for inviting us to worship you, inviting us to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that you would allow me to speak through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray, Lord, that we would listen to your word and that you would be given glory, that we would be obedient and you'd be given praise. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at our passage this morning, it begins with Jesus sharing a parable about a a tenacious friend. And it does not at first seem to show us a picture of what prayer should be like, does it? In fact, it appears like the whole parable is is fairly negative. Imagine with me, if if you will, the scenario of having your friends show up at your home at midnight. You know, if someone's knocking at my door at midnight, I'd be a little fearful. Uh, And then if it's my friend, I'm going to be very upset. (laughs) I I would first say uh, that most of us would agree that this friend was very brazen or bold. Showing up at midnight at my household would have meant that we would have all been in bed sleeping. Uh, The difference back then during these days of Jesus was that at the end of the workday would have been close to dusk. And everybody would have been tired. Uh, They would have had their evening meal and then they would have been off to bed. Uh, because no one was up watching TV. There was no TV. There was no internet. Uh, There was no conversing on the phone. There wasn't checking to see if your daughter's up in Thailand or anything. Um, So this man who showed up at this house back then would have been, appeared to have been very brazen and bold. Very brazen and bold for showing up at his friend's home at midnight, unless, unless, of course, it was an emergency of some sort. But it was not for some emergency. In fact, the, the reason that the man showed up at his friend's house was to borrow three loaves of bread. Uh, for us, uh, for me anyway, I would have opened up the window and said, go to Wawa. <laughs> They're open 24 hours a day. I'll even give you the money tomorrow, but go to or some other grocery store. I'm not promoting Wawa necessarily. Um, But there was no such thing back then. Uh, The the man's emergency was that he needed bread for another friend who who came to him late at night after being on a long journey. Uh, Did the man arrive at his house starving? Probably not, otherwise we would have seen it being mentioned in the passage. It it was a a matter of Middle Eastern hospitality uh, and the friend did not have any bread on hand in order to be hospitable. That was very important. 
Hospitality was a very important thing in that day, in that culture, but it's still not qualified in emergency. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 7, the man's response to his friend asking for bread at midnight is, don't bother me. Don't bother me. I'm sleeping. Leave me alone. But the tenacious friend was brazen and bold for showing up at midnight, and he was, and he was bothersome. He was bothersome for showing up for this seemingly trivial matter. He, he tells his friend that, look, the door's already locked, uh, that his children were all in bed, and that he couldn't get up and give him anything. At, at this point in the parable, if, if this was all that we heard from Jesus, we might be thinking that he was talking about the importance of, of hospitality. We, we see one man going to the extreme of showing up at his friend's house at midnight in order to be hospitable to his other friend. And in this parable, does the opposite of showing no hospitality whatsoever. But this is not what the parable is about. This is, again, right after Jesus spoke on the Lord's Prayer. The parable concludes with Jesus saying, I tell you, though the man will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend... Yet, because of the man's boldness and persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So we see that he, did, he didn't give up. In a, in a negative way, we would say that he was obstinate or, or stubborn, maybe. Stubborn. He was so stubborn that he just wouldn't go away. However, we can know that the parable is really about prayer based on the context, again, of Jesus teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And even so, we might be tempted to think that, that our prayers are suggested to be like this nagging man with his friend just finally giving in. Can you imagine if these are how God, God's up there, oh, Pastor Dave's bothering me again, you know. No, this is not so. Jesus shared this parable in order to teach us some principles of prayer, some, some principles of prayer. So again, you don't have a, your, your, your outline in your bulletin is not correct. So you're going, where is Pastor Dave? He's not. This is Pastor Mike's outline. So, so throw that away. Use it another time, perhaps. Um, so instead of thinking that the man in the parable was rude for showing up at midnight, we need to be looking at the man as being bold. So we, too, are to be praying boldly. Take a look at your prayer life. Are you praying boldly? If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then know that you are a child of the King. And as children of the King, we have been given access. We have been given a privilege of coming before the throne of God with boldness and not timidity. We're to be like a child running up into his father's lap without any inhibition. God wants us to come before him without hesitation and to share with him what is on our hearts because he knows it anyway. He knows it anyway. So we should be praying boldly, and we should also be praying expectantly. Praying expectantly. This is, uh, this is this man. This man came to his friend at midnight with a need, and he expected his friend to meet that need. He wasn't going away. This goes hand in hand with what James says in chapter 1, verse 6, which says, 
But when a person asks in prayer, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. When we pray expectantly, we are to believe that our God will answer our prayers. If we're praying for rain, we got to get that umbrella up, right? If you're praying for rain and you don't even go out with the umbrella or your raincoat, you're not praying expectantly, are you? First John says, this is the confidence that we are to have in approaching God, that if we ask God anything according to his will, he hears us. It is not like this prayer Lord, I want a new 25-passenger Humvee limousine because it's going to be very helpful for the ministry. There's a lot of people here who need rides to church. And, and Lord, I need a 25. I don't even know if they make Humvee passenger limousines anymore. But um, I'm sure that praying for a limo would not qualify as being according to God's will. So a person might pray boldly but not be praying according to God's will. It will not be bothersome to our Heavenly Father if we are praying for things according to his will. Another principle of prayer found in our passage is that of praying persistently. So boldly, expectantly, and persistently. Praying persistently was exemplified by the man not giving up. We can see this in the parable of the widow in Luke chapter 18. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up, he said. He said, a certain, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about man. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, this judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. There are many things that we should be coming to God in prayer about. One is the salvation of our children, our relatives, our friends, our neighbors, those we, we work with. God is not bothered when we come before him boldly and expectantly and persistently when we pray according to his will. Another prayer principle of prayer found in our passage is to be praying fervently. Praying fervently is, is praying passionately. It's praying enthusiastically, eagerly, zealously, and energetically. It is not like this prayer. This is what I call the Eeyore prayer from, from Winnie the Pooh. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Give me my daily bread. Oh, forgive my brother for being a jerk. Help me to get an A on the test that I forgot to study for. No, this is not praying fervently or with passion. Matter of fact, a lot of that's just a messed up prayer, isn't it? Our fervent, passionate prayer should be likened to Jacob in the Old Testament. What did he do? He wrestled with God all night long. 
I'm not saying that our, our prayers necessarily need to be all night long, but, but we need to be wrestling with God in prayer, not, not arguing and fighting with God, but passionately presenting our cares and concerns and our praises before God. We should also remember Hannah. Remember Hannah, the wife of Elkanah, who was unable to have a child? She was downhearted and distressed and and. And so in her deep anguish, we see Hannah in the scriptures praying to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she, she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if, if only you would look on your servant's misery and remember me and, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. And then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, the priest, the, the religious one, the one who, who prays observed her mouth and Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her, her voice was not being heard. And Eli judged her and Eli thought that she was drunk. And he said, how long are you going to stay drunk, woman? Put away your wine. No, my Lord, not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I, I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. We should be pouring out our souls before the Lord for a myriad of things. Jesus is our perfect example of this, of, of someone praying fervently. In Luke chapter 22, it says that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet my, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep and exhausted from sorrow. He said, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus wants us to be praying. He wants us to be praying boldly and expectantly and persistently and fervently. And James tells us that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So we should be waking up out of our spiritual slumber and pray. After Jesus shared this parable with his disciples, he instructed them in what to do. He, he taught them further about the principles of prayer in our passage. In fact, his teaching comes in the, in the form of a command for them to ask. First, they are to ask because God answers prayer. But, but I would like to state that God doesn't answer all prayer. I know I've said before that he does, but God doesn't answer all prayer. I know this it might be contrary to what you've been taught, but the Bible says clearly in the book of Isaiah that unless we have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, then what it says in Isaiah, then our iniquities has separated us from God and our sins have hidden his face from us so that he will not hear our prayers. So if we are not children of God, we are not trusting in God, and he's not going to hear our prayers. 
The only way that God will even hear our prayers is if we have a right relationship with God, having our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ, through trusting in Christ alone. He alone is able to reconcile ourselves before God through his sacrificial death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin and offering to us that gift of eternal life. If you have never done this before, today can be that first day that God will hear you and answer your prayer to be saved. So go before God and ask him to forgive you of your sins and receive the gift of eternal life that he's offering to those who place their faith and trust in Christ alone. But there are many believers who also will not have their prayers heard for another reason. One commentator says, if we, if we regard iniquity or sin in our heart, that is, if we have favorable thoughts of it, if we, if we love our sin, if we indulge in our sin, if we allow ourselves in it, if we treat it as a friend and bid it welcome, if we make provision for it, if we roll it over in our tongue as a sweet morsel, though it be a heart of sin, if we delight in it after the inward man, God will not hear our prayer. He will not accept it, nor will he be pleased with it. God tells us instead that we are to confess our sins, and not just one time, but all the time. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. And then we can have God answer our prayers. If you're concerned that God is not hearing your prayers because of your sin, then confess your sin to him. And he promises that he will forgive you and hear your prayers. We're commanded to pray. We're commanded to go before God and ask because God, if we are his children, answers our prayers. He ans his answers may not always be what we want, right? He may not give us that 25-passenger limousine. God may say yes, he may say no, and he may say wait. If you were like me in school, you never wanted to raise your hand and ask a question because you were embarrassed. We have been always told that there are no bad questions, only the ones that is not asked. The book of James tells us that we want things, but we don't get them. It says that we kill and we covet but we cannot have what we want. We quarrel and we fight. We do not have because we do not ask God. We do not have because we do not ask. God wants us to ask him. However, we are also told in scriptures that sometimes when we ask, we don't receive because we ask with wrong motives. Maybe we ask all the time, but they're the wrong motives. We spend on what we get on our own pleasures. This is very condemning. God wants us to ask, but we are to ask with proper motives. We are to ask God according to his will. And we get to know God's will by spending more time with him in his word and prayer. The next thing that Jesus tells us in our past is that the disciples are to, to seek. We are to seek with the promise of finding what we are seeking. In fact, each of these commands by Jesus are given in the present imperative, which means that we are to keep on asking and keep on seeking. In this case, the command is to seek and keep on seeking. King David gives a, a charge to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28, in which he says, And you, my son, acknowledge the God of your father 
and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Just as David wanted his son Solomon to, to serve God with wholehearted devotion and to always seek after him, this is what God, our Heavenly Father, charges for each one of his children. God says in the book of Jeremiah, you will seek me and, and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And the book of Proverbs says, I will love those who love me and those who seek me will find me. For those who have not yet found God, Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Seek and keep on seeking the Lord in prayer. Jesus also commanded the disciples to knock. He told them to knock because the Lord is the one who opens doors. As we have seen, there has been a progression of actively of activity coming from asking and then seeking and now knocking. Kent Hughes, author and commentator, says asking implies requesting assistance for a, a conscious need. We, we realize our lack and thus we ask for help. The word also suggests humility in asking. It is, for, it is commonly used of, of making a request known to a superior. Seeking denotes asking but adds action to it. The idea is not just an expression of our need, but to, to get up and look around for help. It involves effort. Knocking includes asking but acting plus persevering, like someone who keeps pounding on the door and asking, knocking on the door, asking for help. The man in the parable would just not stop knocking. Many of us have been trying to get to know God's will for our lives. Perhaps you're in high school and you're trying to figure out where God wants you to go to college or if he wants you to go to college, what he wants you to study. As we knock, we should ask God to close doors as well so that we will find the right door that God is opening for us. Another area of importance is following God's will in, in getting married. God has already set up clear parameters for Christians. We are not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So there's no point in going out with an unbeliever if they are not considered marriable. There are many different things that we need to ask and seek and knock for as we desire to follow the Lord's will in our lives. Perhaps a, a great life verse as we seek the Lord's will for our lives is in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 14, it says, For I know, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me and you will seek me with all of your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God answers our prayers if we are his children. God allows us to find his will for our lives. God opens the doors when we keep on knocking, and he gives. He gives. He gives better than anyone. Jesus gives another illustration showing how 
God gives better than earthly fathers. He says, which of you fathers, if, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Aside from the horrible fathers that, that some people have had in their lives, and that's, that's true and that's sad, but Jesus is stating that most every father would never intentionally try and harm his child. Can you imagine your son asking you for fish and you hand him a venomous snake instead or hand him a scorpion instead of an egg? In one of the synoptic gospels in Matthew, Jesus records saying, which of you, if his son asks you for bread, will give him a stone instead? Jesus used these and perhaps other horrible examples. Um, the picture here is of a young child who is completely dependent upon his father for his loving care. The boy asks his father for some food. Jesus states that the normal response of a loving and caring father is to meet that need of his child who is hungry. But Jesus goes on to illustrate the kind of giver that God is. He says, if then you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God gives better than anyone. And he gives graciously. God gives more and he gives graciously. There is no, there is no merit in our prayers. That has been something that's been taught falsely in many so-called Christian religions and religions throughout the world. That your prayers, you pray a lot, you're going to get a lot. That is not what it's saying. There is no merit in our being a good father or a hospitable neighbor. We are good fathers and hospitable neighbors and pray because God gives graciously. He gives to us what we do not deserve. He gives us eternal life and forgiveness of our sins, though we deserve death and separation from God for all eternity. And lastly, we see that God gives generously. God gives generously. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God gives better than anyone. God gives graciously and he gives generously. He even gives the Holy Spirit to those who repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus for their forgiveness of their sins. God has given to us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So I, I challenge myself this morning and each one of us to apply these principles of, principles of prayer taught by Jesus. He wants us to keep on asking because he wants to answer us. He wants us to keep on seeking him so that we might find his will for our lives each and every day. And he wants us to keep on knocking, looking for the doors that he opens in order to follow his will. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we, we come before you. We are so thankful that you have granted us access to come before your throne of grace, that we as your children can come before Abba Father any time of the day, you never sleep, you never slumber, you're never too busy for us. You want to hear what is on our minds. You want us to seek you, to follow you, and obey you. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us prayers that are, are fervent and bold and expectant, 
Lord, that you would do with your will in our lives and the life of this church. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.